0: Thinking about Moses uh, this evening, and as we think about Moses, I want you to think about how long he lived. And Moses lived to be 120 years old. Deuteronomy 34, verse 7, tells us Moses lived to be 120 years old. If you'd like to mark in your Bible, You might turn over to Acts chapter 7 and mark down two verses there. Acts 7. Acts 7 is Stephen's great sermon uh, before they stoned him. But he went through quite a bit of Old Testament history in his sermon in Acts 7. In Acts 7 verse 23, it says that when Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to go visit his, his real brethren right there in Egypt. Make himself known to his real brethren. And then if you look down to Acts 7 and verse 30, you can underline the word 40 again, 40 years, because 40 years later after that, uh, God appeared to Moses uh, in the wilderness and said, I want you to go back to Egypt and I'm going to let my people go. I want you to go to Pharaoh. So Moses' life is divided up into 40 year sections. Uh, the first 40 years the palace in Pharaoh the palace of Pharaoh and then the next 40 years um, in the pasture of Jethro his father-in-law keeping the Keeping the flock of Jethro. And then the last 40 years uh, on his way to Canaan, but didn't get to go into Canaan, but leading the people out of Egypt into the wilderness um, for those last 40 years. And this evening, we'll spend a little time in the early part of Moses' life. And so if you look into your Bibles, we'll look at Exodus chapter 1. Exodus 1. Don't forget about Acts 7 because um, Stephen sums up what we'll be reading in Exodus 1 in, in Acts 7 uh, around verse 17 through 22. Acts 7, 7, Acts 7 17 to 22 is kind of parallel to Exodus uh, chapter 1. Okay. So the early part of Moses' life the first part of his life we will focus on this evening, and this is um, associated with uh, his time in Pharaoh's palace, but really um, not even much information about his time in the palace. But Exodus chapter 1, and we'll get started here. As always in our class, if If you uh, want to add uh, to our discussion, please feel free uh, to do just that. I think you'll be able to see uh, easily some of the things that we're going to be uh, discussing. We're gonna start in chapter one of Exodus, looking at verses one through eight, and especially notice verses six through eight, where it talks about the people in Israel, the people of Israel in Egypt. See that? We'll pick up in about verse uh, 6. But you recall that um, Jacob took his family, his whole bunch, to Egypt. Why did Jacob take his bunch to Egypt back in the book of Genesis? Because of a great famine in the land. And Joseph was there and had um, great responsibility There with the Pharaoh in Egypt at that time. And so Joseph was able to be quite kind to his own family. And they settled uh, in Egypt. And they multiplied. Let's pick up here in verse um, 6 of Exodus 1. It says, then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that uh, generation but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. And now, now verse 8. And there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. So our first emphasis here is to notice the people of Israel in the land of Egypt, and how they are, are multiplying exceedingly, but... Very importantly, but there is a new king now, a new pharaoh in charge who did not know Joseph. What do you think that means? He did not know uh, Joseph. Didn't respect him. Yeah, did not respect Joseph, and what else did not he respect? God. Yeah, he didn't respect Joseph. God. That's the big thing. The former pharaoh did. Former pharaoh was quite impressed with the character of Joseph, and welcomed Joseph's family with with uh, with really with open arms. But this is different. This is a different pharaoh. Now, in just uh, noticing this, let's be sure to remember the very important lesson that one generation can have a belief, and then a next generation can arise and not have that belief. One generation can be quite different religiously than another generation uh, that arises. And this is exactly what we're seeing here. A new generation arises and they do not respect uh, the God of the universe. Flip over in your Bibles to Judges chapter 2 and see a similar incident there. Uh, Judges 2, this is when Joshua will... Pass away. And notice what is said here. Joshua. Uh, Judges 2. But it's about Joshua. Uh, Judges 2. says, Judges 2 in verse 8 says, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord died at the age of 110 years old. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in uh, Timnath-Herez in the hill country of Ephraim north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. That's just how quickly it can happen. One generation can pass away, another generation can come forth and not have the faith, not have the knowledge not have the appreciation, not have the respect for God that uh, needs to be uh, possessed. And so you see that here. If you'd like to make a reference to uh, Revelation chapter 2, there Jesus sends a message to the church at Ephesus. And uh, whereas the faith of uh, the Christians in Ephesus have been quite strong in the past, yet Jesus was very concerned about them. You see that in Revelation uh, chapter 2, around verse uh, 4 or so. Verse 3, Revelation 2, uh, verse 3, I know, Jesus says to the church, I know you're enduring patiently and you're bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, yet I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember therefore from whence you have fallen and repent and do the first works. Do the works you did at first. So just to mention that, that it doesn't take long to lose uh, one's faith if, um, if we're not diligent. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, Paul said to Timothy, uh, the things which you've heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. There's several generations involved there. There's, Paul is older than Timothy. And Paul is about to pass on. And uh, so he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, uh, the things you've heard from me, you take these things and you, you commit to faithful men who those faithful men shall be able to teach others also, so at least two, three, maybe even four generations mentioned there in that one um, verse, but it emphasizes the need to to be diligent in passing on God's work, passing on God's uh, word. Particularly, notice as we go back to Exodus one. Particularly, notice that they did not know Joseph, and a good piece of advice for parents. Grandparents is to make sure that uh, your children get to know faithful people uh, in the church and that they respect faithful people in the church and teach them how to respect faithful people in the church. Joseph, surely, he's a human being, he had peculiar things about him that you might appreciate, you might not appreciate. That, that's true of all of us. But that doesn't keep us from learning to respect faithful people in the Lord's church. That is, that is a uh, huge, huge um, um, habit that we need to form uh, for our children to keep them, keep them before, keep them around, uh, talk to them about um, those who are faithful in the church. Keep help them be around other people help them gain the wisdom that they they have alright so uh, Exodus 1 <clears throat> verses 6-8 just simply talks about the people being in Israel or people of Israel being in Egypt and then there are arising a new uh, generation a new Pharaoh now the rest of Exodus 1 basically talks about this new Pharaoh okay. and so let's do a reading some reading about him First little section of reading we'll do in Exodus 1 is to look at um, verses 9 through 11. I want you to notice how paranoid this new Pharaoh is. So let's read verses 9 through 11, Exodus uh, 1. And as we do that, notice how uh, paranoid he is. What makes a person so uh, paranoid? Well, verse 9, beginning. He said to his people, Pharaoh did, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, uh, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities such as uh, Pithom and Ramses okay. so we'll stop right there but notice first this new Pharaoh who, do, who did not respect God did not respect Joseph um, he's very paranoid what makes a person paranoid brother Larry what, what causes someone to be paranoid what, it, what does it mean to be paranoid Think that in for you. thinking that everybody's got it in for you okay it's a good way of summing it up. That's right. Thinking that, that that bad thing that you hear about is going to actually happen to you. It's going to come into our back door as well. It happened down the road, so therefore it's going to happen uh, here. Okay. Basically, not having faith and basically having a lot of sin in your life is, creates that kind of mindset, a paranoid um, mindset. Uh, to compare something, you might want to flip over. Hold your place there. Look over to John 11. Notice that these the leaders that put Jesus to death, notice how paranoid they are too. John 11, around verse 48 or so. So flipping over there. Hold your place in Exodus 1. But look, look and notice in John 11. This, of course, is the aftermath of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And so many notice in verse 45, many of the Jews, John 11:45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what He did, believed in Him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council together and said, uh, "What are we to do?" For this man performs many signs, and if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Our nation. So look how paranoid they had uh, become. We talked quite a bit last uh, couple weeks about, about the kind of gods that people set up, and It looks to me like these Jews, these these chief priests had had, uh, made Jerusalem and the temple area and all that they were in control of, they had kind of almost become like a god to them. And they were very paranoid that somebody's going to come and take their place away, take their position away, and they would lose their power. That's what sin does. That's what sin makes us paranoid, you know. When when you don't have faith, and sin is dominant in your life, then um, you know what, do you, what kind of hope do you have? All you've got is this life. All you've got is what is around you. You don't have uh, eternal hope. You don't have hope beyond anything that you see. So you're desperate to hold on to all that you have around you and hold on to your place, your possessions, your your position, and that's that's why people become. Paranoid, okay. and so Pharaoh here is very much like that but we don't need to follow him in that direction um, so we need to increase our faith we need to uh, have more faith and less sin so we won't be uh, in that mindset many people live their lives as, as panic stricken people uh, but we ought to be driven by faith okay. so Notice here, this Pharaoh, this new, new Pharaoh, is very paranoid. Okay. Well, let's keep reading and notice how pathetic his character is, too. Let's just keep reading. We read through verse 9 and 11. And let's just keep reading. It says, verse 12, Exodus 1, it says, But the more they were oppressed, the more they were um, multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they, in a very ruthless way, they made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service, with mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they, in a ruthless way, no mercy. They had no mercy toward them. They made them work as uh, slaves. This is the, this is the terrible uh, character of Pharaoh. When you don't know God and you don't have any motivation to come out of your sin, you just become more and more ruthless. And um, this is that Pharaoh in that day. Doesn't it matter who is in leadership in a, in a nation? Doesn't this show us here? It does matter. Okay, we don't spend all of our time on this as the Lord's people, but we do recognize it does matter in a land, in a nation, um, the type of people we have in leadership because eventually that will affect uh, people's lives. Here is a, a man who should not be a leader of anything, and uh, he's making people's lives uh, miserable Proverbs fourteen thirty four still says that righteousness does what? Exaltation. Yeah, righteousness exalts the nation, but sin is what? Yeah, righteousness exalts the nation, but sin is a reproach uh, to any people. Any sin of any person is a reproach upon the Lord who made us but uh, it is only righteousness that will help a nation. And so these people were suffering. Our, our forefathers here uh, were suffer- suffering at the hand of this Pharaoh. Okay. But notice a very peculiar thing here in verse 12. What is very peculiar about verse 12 here in Exodus 1? The more they afflicted them. They're trying to stop this, you know. But the more they persecuted the more they afflicted them, the the harder they made their work, the more they multiplied, the more they spread abroad. This is a little bit of a preview of what happens in in the book of Acts later on when the church is established. Really going back to when Stephen was stoned, was great persecution came upon the, the early disciples and they were scattered they had they were forced to leave jerusalem many of the christians were forced to leave uh, jerusalem but as they left what did they do they took the word of god with them so in that in that being forced to leave it, it actually helped it actually helped um, the gospel to spread and so in st- Satan lashing out against God's people, he actually uh, was helping God's people to spread uh, the word, and more and more people were being saved. And so uh, a very peculiar thing happened here under the power of Pharaoh. We see this happen happening personally in our lives sometimes. We don't wish for it for ourselves or for anybody, but oftentimes the, the rougher things get for us then the more we draw near to God, the more we see the need for spiritual growth, the more important heavenly things become to us. And there are several passages we could read along this line, but, but uh, we know this uh, to be true. James 1, for example, James 1, verse 2 Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials and temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works endurance, works patience, and that will work for you to have great maturity in Christ. And So we know this to be true as well. So we see here Pharaoh, he's very paranoid. We see here uh, that he's, uh, he has a terrible disposition about him. He's ruthless. He has very little mercy. He's just hanging on to his power. But then we see here something very peculiar. Okay. Now, notice in the next place here. So we have read down Exodus 1 all the way down through about verse 14. Notice the next thing is that Pharaoh's going to progress to murder now. Okay. He's going from being from making the people slaves that now he just wants to start murdering the people off. And so let's pick up in verse 15, Exodus 1 in verse 15. It says, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named was Shiphrah, and the other's name was Pewah. And he said to them, When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women, and you see them on the stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But, verse 17, but the midwives fear God and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them to do, but let the male children uh, live. And so the king is letting his sin progress. First he didn't respect God And then he made the lives of the Hebrews rougher and rougher. And now he is uh, resorting to murder. But he runs into the faith of these midwives. Midwives. What is the key to their faith here? What does it say here that is the key to their faith? They fear God more than they feared Pharaoh. That's the key to... Uh, to their faith, of course. Who does that remind you of in the Bible? You think about other examples of people who fear God more than than a leader. Who, who does that remind you of? Daniel. Okay, Daniel, okay, chapter six, okay. And uh, Mark, what was the situation with Daniel? Do I? He he, uh, no, he was he was uh, he didn't they had an edict there that he was not supposed to worship anybody but the king but the king uh, he didn't <coughs> right. Right. he wasn't supposed to call upon any god at all except for the king and so he went right away and prayed anyway and was thrown into the lion's den and so who else do you think about? Yeah, Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego. And those are, those are excellent examples. Okay. You remember that Peter and the apostles stood up and um, uh, showed great faith as well. Acts chapter 5, uh, verse uh, 27. I want to read that before us. Acts 5 and 27. It says, when they had uh, brought them, they had arrested... Uh, Peter, John, and others. And they set them before the council. And the high priest uh, questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. And you, here yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the rest of the apostles answered, we must obey God rather uh, than man. Okay. So this is an excellent character trait. Uh, to form within all of us. Uh, and we must fear God more than we do any man or any, any government. Okay. Now, what does how does God res- respond? How does God respond? What does it say in verse 20? He dealt well with these midwives. God was very pleased with them. He dealt He dealt well with them. Now, I know for me, uh, growing up, I, n- I never dreamed that we would ever have to be in conflict with with our government uh, in order to to serve God. Not not in Ireland. Not in not in our part of the world, but. Um, 2020 almost um, had us in conflict with the, with the government. We always obey God rather uh, than man. Always, 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 always. And uh, these are great examples uh, for us. Okay. Let's look at a couple of um, passages. Um, really, it's from our, the poetry section of our Bibles. Turn, turn to Ecclesiastes. Notice um, chapter 8 with me. Ecclesiastes 8, and notice that when the midwives stood up and feared God, that God dealt well with them. Let's just read a little commentary on something like that here. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 12, Ecclesiastes 8, verse 12. It says here that though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will it prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. So notice what he says there. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and keeps prolonging his life. Okay, and that's, that's the way it seems when you look out on the world. All, all the people who do so many things that are, that are evil and they seem to have no trouble in their lives. And the writer here is saying, we know that it is not going to be well with them. But for those who do fear God, it is going to be well with them. Turn back with me, if you don't mind, to Proverbs and look uh, quickly down to chapter 16. Chapter 16 of Proverbs. And notice uh, just verse 6. Right quick. Proverbs uh, 16, verse 6. We read, By by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. So true, isn't it? The fear of the Lord. Fear the, Lord. Fear the Those who fear the Lord will turn away uh, from evil. There's no way these midwives are going to uh, kill these baby boys because they fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord will keep us from doing anything that is harmful to anyone. It will keep us from doing anything that's, that um, is contrary to the will of God. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It all begins right there, and so we see Pharaoh here. So he progresses to murder, but he runs into the faith of these of these Hebrew midwives who refuse. Can you imagine that? They refuse. We're not going to do this. And what great faith uh, they had! But does this stop Pharaoh? What else? What does he do? What does Pharaoh do? According to verse 22 of Exodus 1, what does he do? How does he do that? How does he drown all the Hebrew boys? How does he do that? All right, he sends out an edict. He sends out a command across the land. He uh, couldn't get the Hebrew midwives to cooperate, so I'm just going to send a huge command. Whenever you see Hebrew boy being born, then then uh, you throw him in the river. Okay. So what a bloody, bloody man uh, this is. you what? A coward. a coward that he is. Okay. Let me ask you, when God decides to deliver the people out of Egypt, what was the first plague? What was the first plague that he brought upon? them? Water and the blood. That's right. I don't think that's by accident, do you? I mean, here you are, you're throwing these babies into the river. I'll tell you what, I will, I'll, I'll turn your rivers into blood. What he did. Proverbs uh, six, you know, says God hates the shedding of blood. And so God is the avenger. God will avenge everything that's done wrong. And this, this uh, Exodus seven fifteen is the first plague. Exodus seven fifteen, the river uh, turned into blood. Now. From this chapter, there are several issues that jump out to us, and we've noticed a couple. But the war on, on human life is still there, it's still here. Uh, it seems like it's always been around the war on life, the, uh, the war on sacredness of life. Is there. Um, we've battled abortion. Over the years in our lifetime, that's not the only battle. There is. I was reading uh, something from Eric Lines from Apologetics Press uh, the other day, and he speaks about um, some evolutionary uh, environmentalists. And he talks about this one doctor, Eric Pianca, who was awarded the Distinguished Scientist of the Year uh, back in 2006. But this scientist uh, warned, let's see if I can just read it here. It says, this scientist warned that quick steps must be taken to restore the planet before it's too late. Talking about planet Earth. Professor Pianca said that the earth as we know it will not survive without drastic measures. And Eric's commenting here, he says, then without presenting any data to justify uh, what he says, he asserted that the only feasible solution to saving the earth, planet earth, is to reduce the population to 10% of its present number. And so uh, his suggestion was to send an airborne virus uh, into the population. This is from 2006. 2006. So Eric brings this up, but he also brings up this, said that, This scientist's name is John Hold, Hold Holdren, H-O-L-D Hold, R-E-N Holdren. He served as um, President Obama's science czar, okay, back in a few years ago. he wrote a book called uh, Echoscience, Population, Resources, and the Environment. And he says in that book, there exists ample authority under which population growth could be regulated. Under the United States Constitution, effective population control programs could be enacted. I wonder what kind of population programs uh, he is uh, talking about. He goes on to say compulsory compulsory Population control laws, even including laws requiring uh, abortion, compulsive abortion. So, so, just mention that to let us know that abortionists are not the only people with murder in their minds. Uh, these evolutionary environment, environmentalists are very serious about population uh, control. Just to mention that there is a continuous war on the sacredness of life. And we will always need to stand up for it because we fear God more than we do uh, man. Anything you need to add uh, to any of that before our time runs out here? Not only was there a war on life in those days... as Moses is about to be born. Um, But there was a war on boys. A war on boys. And in my view, there's still a war on boys. And um, the God-given role that God gives to boys who become men uh, has almost been stripped uh, from them. And um, Satan has been working at the root of the character of our boys. Another brother, uh, Eric Lyons uh, is a brother in Christ. He's been here before. Another brother that, um, I believe he lives in Tennessee, his name is Brad Harrow. And uh, Brad did, a, um, did his own little research on Facebook a while back where he uh, surveyed 300 people. Um, Christian young men, and he simply asked them, "Have you viewed any pornographic uh, material in the last recently in the last month or so?" And um, 39 percent answered positive to that. One of three of uh, boys going to uh, churches of Christ uh, answered positive on that. One of three. And um, the thing that Brother Harrod wrote up on that, he said he said the shocking thing to him was that he asked the question uh, specifically, have you viewed this in the last month or so? 39%. He said he wondered what the answer would be if he had asked, have you ever viewed pornography at all? If the number would be would be higher. And so, just to mention that there is a war on life, there's a war on our boys as well. It comes from all uh, directions, as you know. So, but this gets us started talking here about the early life of Moses and the times in which he was born. And these were very rough times to be born. Uh, there were wicked people uh, on the throne. But uh, nonetheless, God's going to use Moses uh, in a great way. What we've tried to do uh, this evening is to notice Pharaoh, how paranoid he, he was, um, what a wicked character he had, the peculiar circumstance of him trying to get rid of God's people, come down on them, but it just kept uh, multiplying. Notice how you progressed from from uh, being just wicked and causing a rough life to somebody to now he, he progressed on into murder. And then um, when that didn't work with the midwives, he progressed to just giving a big, large command for it to happen. And it did happen. You will see the similarities between Moses and Jesus uh, as you study the life of Moses. We don't know a lot about the first several years of Moses, but we know there were some very critical things that happened at his birth. And so that's similar to Jesus. We don't know a lot about Jesus' first 30 years or so, but uh, he certainly, um, his parents certainly had to watch out for wicked rulers uh, in his day. So thank you so much for working through Exodus 1 with me uh, this evening. I hope we can see the obvious lessons that are there, and um, perhaps we can study uh, some of these things further uh, as the days come along. We'll take about a five-minute break.